Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I'm here with Chris Yount. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So we're going to get into your work in the board world. But before we get that, I'll do a quick bio, which I think will help kind of give context to the conversation. Chris is a battle-tested CEO who took his family business from bankruptcy to record profits. He now shares his passion for multi-generational businesses by serving as a board advisor. And I want to start with the story first, because I think it informs your work that you do in the board advisory space. Tell us the story about this family business that you resurrected and and what that journey looked like for you. Yeah, we were uh, founded in 1939 by my grandfather. So a pretty long tenure in history. We primarily manufactured waterproofing products for home construction. So In 2008, I was working my way up through the business, and 2008 was a year where people stopped building houses, very critical part of a home construction products business. So we headed towards bankruptcy. We were kind of on the bankruptcy courthouse steps, and that is when my rise through the family business was accelerated, and I took over as president that year. My father was pretty well retired, and there was a non-family business member who was running it at the time. So myself and my team had a very heart-wrenching but and difficult turnaround plan we had to put together, including closing factories and layoffs and a whole bunch of things you never want to have to do. Uh, but we restructured the business, got ourselves on our feet, and started rebuilding from there. And thankfully, we were very successful, had some amazing growth through the 2010s. 
ultimately culminating in an unsolicited offer to sell the business in 28 because we had become so important to one of our key suppliers. They really, from a strategic standpoint, needed to acquire us. And it was one of those offers you can't refuse type deal. So yeah, very proud of what we were able to achieve together. And I would think, at least in my experience of talking to other folks that are in the family business board world, it very is oftentimes the mistakes and the negative experiences that really you know, prove to be the resources that people need. Just showing people what you did to be successful is not always the most helpful thing in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we always joked that that time period was my expensive MBA because it was so much more costly, but so much more educational than anything you could get out of a book of having to live through the ups and downs, live through the decisions of, you know, going into, we had four manufacturing facilities. We came out with one and having to rethink how do we deliver products to our customers? Where are we adding? What roles are absolutely critical in a blank sheet of paper company? One of the exercises we did right when I took over, we were trying, we had spent most of 2007 trying to catch a falling knife. The construction industry really saw the 08 recession before the rest of the world. And we were heavily exposed to the worst markets. We were very big in California, Nevada, Arizona, Florida, Texas. I mean, the poster children of the apocalypse of that, of that crash. So we really knew in 07, there was problems. And every time we would try to reassess and reevaluate, we had dropped another 20% and had to completely start over. So when I took over in 08, one of the first things I did, I took my top leadership team, which was about 12 or so people at the time into a hotel conference room. And I said, here's our assumption. We're blank sheeting this entire company. We're going to, I'm assuming this, this is our sales for 2009, which was another 30% lower than where we were at then. And nobody believed that number. And I said, that's the number we're using. And I said, this is the gross margin that this company will generate next year on those sales, which was considerably lower than we were already at. And nobody believed that number. And I said, we're not debating those two numbers. Those are the givens. And this company needs to make $0 next year, which was considerably better than what we've been doing. And what we will do is we're going to create a blank org chart with no names on it that can support and sustain this business being a total break even next year. At the end of that, we will start to put names on that org chart. And you guys are absolutely going to notice, you know, there's 12 or 13 of us in the room. There's not going to be 12 or 13 spots at the top of that org chart. What I ask of you is to be consummate professionals that I've known you to be. Many of these people have been with us 20, 30 years, known me since I was a child. And those whose names aren't on the org chart, no trust that I will take care of you and do the best I can for the fact that you can't be a part of this organization going forward. But what I need from you now is to be a professional and help me get this done. And to a man, they, they did. It was amazing. A very difficult exercise and ended up really being the blueprint that saved the companies. We, we had to really relook at the way things were done in the business. An amazing so, lesson. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure one that's been helpful as you've served on, on various boards. And that's what I want to get into the meat of the conversation. Your experience going through 08. Many people think we're about to enter into potentially a recessionary period, a very difficult, challenging period for many businesses. I'm sure a lot of listeners are out there evaluating whether they need to revisit their board structure or maybe install a board structure. If they're in the latter camp, how do you answer this question of, does my company need a board? Yeah. It, so the shortest version, if I've only got a minute in an elevator with somebody is if you're doing over $10 million a year in sales, I would never invest in your company 
without having a board. So that's just a real easy, if you just need to draw a clear line in the sand, in my mind, that's, that's a line. The, the longer answer is a bit more nuanced as far as, you know, where the complexity level is going for your business, what challenges it's facing, what your background is and what you need. In general, boards can be great for a couple of different things. One, you can get industry insiders on your board and get a variety of connections that would be hard to make otherwise. Two, you can get people with a greater degree and broader experience than you have and get insights into the business that as smart as you are, we all like to think we're the smartest person in the room, getting a few smarter people in the room, probably going to be helpful. And then the third piece is being held accountable, especially for a closely held business or a family held business. Every one of your employees, as much as you may be a magnanimous leader who's got the open door policy and is very nice and wonderful, every one of those employees, their paycheck has your name signed at the bottom of it. And at some point, the emperor has no clothes and people are afraid to tell them, regardless of how kind and gentle you are. Hopefully, if you've installed a board that's worth their salt, they don't need that job. Good board members really don't need that job. They're taking it because it's an honor. They're taking it because they like to get back. They're taking it because they like to stay active and do these types of things. But they should be able to be independent enough to stand up and tell you when your ideas are bad, which is something, it's a luxury your employees generally don't have. So those are the three main things that I would consider in thinking about adding a board. The last piece would be if you're taking on a new initiative, something you don't have any experience in. So we're ready to go international. We've been domestic our you know, the tenure of our business, but we're ready to go international. Well, you may not have experience opening a new office in Chile. Find somebody who does. Use them. You know, we've run out of organic growth. We need to start a real M&A campaign and start acquiring our way into different aspects of this business. Maybe you've never bought a business. Find somebody who has. You know, really fill your golf bag with the types of clubs you're going to need. And that's really what your board could serve as. People who've been there and done that, let them stub their toes on the hidden obstacles in the dark that you're proceeding into and show you the way and ways to avoid those mistakes. So I would, I would consider all those things in thinking about, do I need a board? But $10 million, if you need the short answer, <laughs> it's my baseline. Yeah. I mean, I think that's helpful, just kind of Mendoza line to have in your mind. And how do you typically respond to the pushback of a first time entrepreneur who is a founder, says, I don't have time for another meeting. I don't want to lose control of my my baby. I don't think that we're at a stage where it's required. And frankly, you know, if I bring in these outside people, that's great, but nobody knows a business like I do. Sure. Yeah. So I'll take those each in turn. I don't want to lose control of my baby is super easy. A board of advisors and a board of directors are two totally different things. A board of directors has a fiduciary responsibility and does have controlling rights. A board of advisors is really just a collection of people who are there to advise you. You have no legal need to follow their advice or follow their recommendations. You don't have to give up control, shares, or anything else to, to that group. So that's a very easy one. Structurally, you can handle that. I don't have time is sort of, you go back to the parable of the woodcutters that there's the two guys who are going to have a wood chopping contest and the big burly guy just keeps chopping wood all day, never takes a break because he's so big and strong. And there's a smaller woodcutter who goes behind the shed and takes a break for 10 minutes every hour. And at the end of the day has more wood cut and the big burly guy doesn't understand why. And he said, because I went back to sharpen my axe. So we're all busy. 
every one of us in these positions is busy. You're not alone in that club. What you will find is the people that take the time to learn more, challenge themselves, push their thinking, expand their horizons are the ones at the end of the day who end up actually being more productive, that you will find time for what is important in your life. And if improving your performance is important, then finding time for the for a board to advise you and rein you in and challenge your thinking is actually something that's going to be immensely beneficial. So I, I don't ever buy the I'm too busy argument. I know a lot of busy people. I've been a member of YPO, Young Presidents Organization, for 12 or 13 years, all incredibly busy people. But they find time that many of which have boards. Many of the members also go to these, these meetings, which are almost like support group type meetings for busy CEOs. And what we find when you lead these meetings, so they're time consuming is, man, I was given a whole bunch of different ideas, experience, share, and things I can learn from. So the successful people I know in life make time for the things that improve them. Yeah, I'm, I'm a YPO as well, and wholeheartedly agree that that's a trap that you just need to avoid because to your point, you can prioritize things and this clearly is one that you need to carve out time for. So say you're ready to take the next step. You understand you need to set up this board. Where do you start? What is the frequency? What's the cadence? You know, Do you think about venue? How do you take this first step? Yeah. So first step, think about board of directors versus board of advisors. For the vast majority of entrepreneurs, advisors is what we're really talking about. Board of directors really is when there's a lot of outside investment, certainly public companies and those types of things. But that's where control and many more legal documents need to be, be supplied. I think for most of your listeners, we're really probably talking about board of advisors. So where I would start, I would start with thinking about the, my golf club analogy of what sort of things are coming up in my world that I need expertise in, that I can get. And honestly, using a board, you can get for a lot cheaper than buying a bunch of consultants. So can I find somebody who's good with international M&A, expansion, new markets, et cetera, that type of thing? I would think about having an industry insider or two on the board, helping with connections, really understand the business, those types of things. If it's a family business, somebody who's been in a family business before, family businesses are wildly different than entrepreneurial businesses that were just founded somebody who can get the the nuances of those generations and the emotions that come with a family business can be quite important. I would think about those types of things. And then as far as frequency, most boards are quarterly. If there's a lot going on, it can be shorter in period. I generally wouldn't recommend less time than that. Location, I don't find matters too much. For some reasons, you may not want to have it on site in one of your facilities or your headquarters. If you're talking about some things that are very sensitive that employees may be spooked by, you know, a round of layoffs is coming and, and some employees may be trying to hang around the door and try to figure out what's going on. For some, sometimes that can be nerve wracking, just decisions you have to sort of make around that. Oh, one other thing on the type of board member to, to get, one other thing I, I forgot. Another advice I give to a lot of the boards and CEOs I work with is think about your biggest weakness. So for me, it was finance. You know, I have an MBA, I can read a financial statement or whatever, but I'm, I'm a marketing guy and secondarily a manufacturing guy at heart. Those were the things I enjoyed when I came in. Those were the problems I wanted to tackle. And the last thing I wanted to do was, was dig through the balance sheet and really think about the changes that had happened over the previous month period. 
So I always made sure to have a very strong financial board member on the team, mostly because it's the same reason why we have personal trainers at the gym. It's not that we don't know how to do jumping jacks and lift weights. It's having somebody pushing you to do something that makes you uncomfortable is what actually makes you stronger. So the board member who would be, you know, I would be going on and on about the latest marketing campaign and how great it was going to be and how exciting this new sales program was going to be. And he would say, well, you know, your current ratio dropped. Explain why. And I have to sit down. Oh, okay. You know, it's like doing mental pushups. All right. Well, okay. So current assets and liability, you know, I'd have to kind of go through and think, think up the correct response and do the analysis that I didn't naturally want to do. So definitely push yourself with somebody who's going to, who's going to complement your weaknesses would be a, be a huge benefit, I think. And what about sizing? How many people typically do you have on the board? Yeah. I like the adage of any meeting that you can't feed with two pizzas has too many people in it. So in general, I, I recommend you have two, maybe three current employees on the board. So it's certainly the president CEO has to be there. Usually I feel pretty strongly about the CFO being in the room too. That's more typical just to have those two every now and then there's a third, a sales leader or somebody else who's quite important who might be in the room every time from an outsider's perspective, two or three is quite nice. Four is starting to get to the outside limit. When you get a committee that's too large, it's noise and very little signal in my experience. So I like a couple of, couple of strong voices and try to rotate them as much as you can, as much as is reasonable. Certainly people's advice can get stale after a time period and, or you hear the same thing from the same person over and over and over again, over the decades, being a family business, we, we had periods where we had members who were on the board for 30 years, honestly, stop being terribly helpful in, in your 25, you know, you, they started to not really have the same gravitas or you'd heard all the same stories before. So finding ways to oxygenate the water and, and keep that board turning over actually can be quite helpful. You referenced YPO earlier, you know, famously yeah. YPO, especially forum, or at, frankly, <laughs> any meeting that takes place in a YPO process, protocol, procedure, agendas, they're, they're very focused on this in order to drive engagement and efficiency. What do you think best practices is in that regard for the board of advisors? Yeah, you know, Robert's rules of order is usually the name of the game, which can be a little dingy and or stale, I guess, but generally can be quite helpful. What I always like to do, what I found later in running my own boardroom that became helpful because I kind of followed the standard procedure. Let's go through the reports and everything else. You should start. Let me, let me actually back up slightly. Every board meeting a week ahead of time should involve a very detailed board report and reading. So the board members come in prepared, educated, full of questions and ready to go. Not having them come in cold is a waste of their time and a waste of yours. So make sure that they're prepared to talk about the things that you want to talk about. But the, the format change I switched to after a couple of years was narrowing instead of making the board meeting about every little thing in the business. And okay, we're going to spend some time on sales. We're going to spend some time on marketing. We're going to spend some time on manufacturing and finance and procurement, distribution, and blah, blah, blah. And getting a lot of like little bites of a lot of little problems. What I found was usually in almost any quarter, there was a question I found I was repeatedly having with subordinates and coworkers. Some, oh man, we don't know if we should open this new distribution channel or something. And we would be debating and discussing. 
And I really found if I sat down quietly for 10 minutes, that question could pop to mind. And so I started making my board meetings only about the question. Here's the question we're really struggling with as a group. And making sure the board packet of reading gave them enough background to be educated about that concept and spend more time circling the wagons around this idea. And you're, you're at a 30,000 foot view from the board. And a lot of times the fact that they're not dealing with the day-to-day really gives them interesting perspective on these problems where you're very mired in the daily operation of the business to not really see as long-term as, as you should with what the question is. So yeah, I, started, I, I switched to that format, started to find it to be considerably more helpful than the book report format that can become typical. But each business is going to have to tweak and experiment as they are going through their board. You know, Maybe for the first few years, if you're just forming a board, it is kind of more of a book report format of, let me tell you about that key highlights in the you know major divisions. And let's talk about the gross margin of each product line and, and those types of things that get a little rote after time. But if you're looking for a greater challenge, finding a way to go deeper into narrow topics, I found started to bring me a lot more value. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Take the next step by joining the Capital Club, an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals organized by Excelsior Capital. You'll gain access to exclusive alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, private events, and more. Visit excelsiorgp.com slash Capital Club Podcast for more information and to sign up today. Yeah, I think focusing on the high-level strategy makes a lot of sense, especially for obviously the outsiders that you're bringing into the room. Sure. Along, along those lines, what do you think the right way to onboard these folks is? Yeah, I think you should have a, a solid onboarding procedure. You'd almost have to really want to do a full day of uh, making sure they fully understand the product line making sure they completely understand the cap table and structure of the business, making sure they understand the org chart and how things are done. For us, in that we were a manufacturing business, new board members, I would usually have them come out for most of a day to review some of those things, but also come visit me at a factory so we could walk through and I could take them in a detailed step-by-step. This is how our manufacturing process works. Make sure you really understand how this works. Here are products that we purchase. Here are products we make. Here's how we combine them. Here's how we ship them. Really show them quite literally how the sausage is made because you've often found that is where the greatest insights came from. It was usually 20 minutes into the factory tour when they're like, why do you do this? Like, I don't know. We've been doing that since my grandfather was here. Oh, well, you know, it'd be way more efficient if you just, you know, change this process slightly and you're like, just mind blowing stuff like that. So Making sure, you know, for some people, if it's more of a services business, that might be right along with the salesperson, right along with the service provider, sit in on a few customer calls. A field trip should be involved, in my mind, as part of the business. So they really have a sense of it. It's not just generally, oh, I think I know what you guys do. I I kind of have an idea. No, like they need to know the business. They need to be involved in it. So, yeah, I would onboard people in a very detailed manner. And a broader question that your comment triggered to me is, if you are a first generation business founder and you're starting to spin up the, this board, how do you push back against this ego-driven, I'm the leader, I know what's best, and start actually facilitating these conversations and taking that feedback, you know, internalizing it and then executing on it? 
is there is it a mindset shift is that part of just the board's responsibility and shifting the mindset of the ceo or of board members of the ceo yes. correct yeah i mean it it does take some maturity to be able to admit i don't know everything we as business leaders especially entrepreneurs who had the gumption to go found a business often that's kind of a hard mindset to shift from you know I knew enough to know to found this business. It's very successful now. It's growing rapidly all on my shoulders. And then to switch over to maybe I don't know everything is tough. It it takes a lot of knowing oneself to be able to do that. How to convince somebody to do that is I'm not a big believer that people change very easily. Unfortunately, I'm a little pessimistic on that topic. So they somewhat need to discover it themselves or, you know, conversations with employees who are maybe a little braver or a little more tenured saying, you know, Hey boss, I think you're getting it wrong on a few things. I think we need another opinion and that kind of thing. Hopefully they're able to hear that at some point and understand that that's the position they're in. You less often will see if you're looking in a family business, gen one implementing a board, that's much more rare than gen two or gen three or et cetera. A lot of times for that reason, gen one was the entrepreneur They were the cowboy who went off into the plains to discover new land. And it is difficult for that mindset to stop and ask for directions. It's it's usually easier for a more growth or preservation mindset to to think in those terms. So not not an easy problem to to solve. In general, I think if they're listening to your podcast, they're already thinking about improving their educational mindset. They're already thinking about how to, you know, this is I've listened to many of your podcasts. It very much is a great way of improving yourself. This is sharpening that that axe in the woodcutting contest. And so if you're already here, you're probably already getting that mindset and really trying to push yourself of how do I get better, which is great. It's a great place to start from, to start improving your business. Yeah, I mean, I think YPO and these other affinity peer-to-peer networking and learning opportunities, you're joining them and you're in this world, you're listening to resources like this show because you do want to push yourself and get to that next level. Getting a, a little bit more granular, you mentioned the board member that's been around for 25 years, not adding a lot of value, probably not getting a lot of value, frankly. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend term limits or doing like iterative reevaluation, bringing in a third party audit every few years to evaluate how the board's functioning? Yeah, I think this kind of goes to company culture of what kind of culture you have as a business. The way I ultimately solved it, because I inherited a board that was already up and functioning, and I had some of those 20 plus year people who who were bringing less value, but were almost like surrogate grandparents to me. You know, I mean, they they were people I knew for those 25 years. So it was really difficult to sit down, emotionally difficult to sit down and say, hey, you're not really bringing the value I need in this conversation anymore. Or half of it is the value they're bringing, half of it is the value I'm missing from from new board members who could be there. So the way I ultimately addressed it was I researched a lot about public term limits and term limits that were starting to be put into becoming a newer concept within even public boards and private boards to start adding term limits. And one of our board meetings, I started the discussion. said, hey, look, the big boys are doing these practices. I think we should think about these practices. And everybody fully agreed. They understood. And they said, you're right. That is the right thing to do. Let's put in a a 10-year term limit policy, which we did. And immediately, we had two members who were exceeding 
their 10-year term limit policy. So we said, okay, we're going to write a one-year exception to ease you guys out. And so I could start the board search process for us onboarding new members. And so it, it operated relatively smoothly, but it was an emotional because of the culture of our company, because we were very family oriented and we tended to keep employees and board members around for decades at a time. It was a very emotional conversation full of landmines to approach, but ultimately I think it made us healthier. And I, and the board members who departed under that policy, I think fully agreed that that was a much better way for us to be, to be run, but you can do it through annual evaluations. I certainly know boards that do that. I think it's a good practice. At the end of the day, any practice you would have with your employees is probably one you should have with your board members too. So 360 degree feedback, if that's a cultural norm for you, why not extend it to the board? Annual reviews, if that's a cultural norm, extend it to the board. I've certainly had CEOs who've said, you know, I have this one board member who's a problem child and He's not respectful in meetings, you know, talks over people, blah, 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 you know, those types of things. And said, what would you do if he was your plant manager? Uh, well, I'd sit him down and we'd do progressive discipline. And, and if we couldn't straighten him out, we'd depart him. Okay. Should do the same thing with the board member. There's no reason it should be any different. You either behave and are productive and are a useful member of this group or thanks for your service. We got to get you down the road. So, you know, none of those things are any different at a board level. It feels different because they're, they're at a different tier, but I don't think there's any reason to treat them any differently than you would any other employee. And what about compensation? What's industry normed? Are there resources people can use to figure out what level they should be at? Yeah, there's, there's several resources out there. Usually, much like almost all pay, it's a sliding scale based on size of company and industry and type of company, public versus private, uh, et cetera. I know within YPO, there are several of these surveys have been shared on the message boards. I actually was just looking it up the other day for one of my chapter mates who was asking me this very question. We had a, a board symposium in my chapter and, and this question came up and it was a survey showing like many other salary surveys of a company of you know 10 to 50 million, the median compensation is X, 50 to 150 million, the median compensation is Y. So it's a little hard to say that there is a total norm in all these. It's, it's a sliding scale based on those factors. The other sliding scale factor is many companies reward with stock. If you're a privately held, closely held family business, mine was, we didn't reward stock to anyone. It was strictly compensation. So all those things need to be somewhat considered. Usually I find, unless you're up in the bigger public companies, it's not that lucrative of a job. You really are, it's the emotional benefits, the pride, enjoying giving back, enjoying sharing your, your wealth of knowledge and those types of things. So, you know, they can be anywhere from, you know, $2,000 a meeting to $25,000 a meeting, depending on the size of the business, or, you know, I serve on some startup boards where startup has no cash. What they have is a whole lot of pretty well worthless stock certificates. So serve on boards where anywhere from a third of a percent of the company up to 5% of the company has been granted for services and that type of thing. So it just, just sort of depends on their cap table and structure, what their investors are requesting in those cases, because they already have outside investors and that type of thing. So ask around, look for surveys would be one. There are consultants who would be happy to charge you for that information or ask, you know, your friends and colleagues who are running other companies, what, what they're seeing, find comparable 
companies in your area or in your network and see, see what you can find there. And then you were in about this concept, I think is really powerful. These breakout groups or executive cohorts kind of underneath the umbrella of the board, what's the best way to leverage them? How do they function? What does that look like in your opinion? Peer-to-peer networks, or you're talking about like a comp committee? I'm sorry, yeah, like separate committees, you know, maybe not for certain issues that the board as a whole does not need to be involved in, but you can pull Mm -hmm. maybe one or two members in for very specific subject matter expertise. Yeah, you can do that formally or informally. I personally did informally, stylistically, that just worked with me better rather than this is the official compensation committee that's going to sit down and review salaries for everybody all at one time. Instead, what I like to do was try to grab breakfast or lunch with certain board members every quarter, the one, especially ones that were more local. I had board members who lived across the country and they were harder to see between meetings. But where I could say, hey, let's grab breakfast this morning, just you and me. It's, we don't have the noise of the other folks in the room. Gives me a little more time to dial down on this specific topic that I think you might be expert in and be able to scratch that itch a little bit better. So like I said, I think that was stylistic to me. Some people may like the formal structure of, you know, this is the succession planning committee that's going to think about replacing me as CEO or what's our backup plan. Fine. Perfectly fine to do. But for me, I was much more informal in the structure of that. And especially for the ones across the country, it doesn't need to be, you know, breakfast or dinner or whatever. It can also just be a quick phone call. Hey, let me catch up with you for 30 minutes on the phone and and get what you're thinking. You know, you have access to amazing resources. You know, I often say most of the people I had the pleasure of having on my board and many of the boards I currently serve on are people who you couldn't hire as a consultant. They don't do that, which makes their services pretty darn invaluable. And that's an amazing gift you have from the generosity of these people. Use it. If somebody was showing up with something you know, worth it. I've had this speech for some of the startup founders I've worked with who tend to not get that concept. Uh, we're sitting around a table and said, Hey, most of the people at this table, you couldn't pay them $3,000 an hour to be a consultant for you. We're all sitting here for an hour. There's five of us. That's $15,000. If I put $15,000 in cash on this table right now, would you work to put your hands on it and grab it? But yeah. Okay. Come to the meeting prepared, ask us questions, try to use us because this is what we're giving you. Imagine I laid $15,000 and $100 bills on this table. It would get your attention. And that's what has happened today. So pay attention and be respectful of this group. Don't abuse it because you'd hate for them next quarter to not come put $15,000 on your table. So I think if you mindset shift about what value you're really creating when you're in the room with this group, you'll realize how blessed and lucky you are to be in a, in a room with so many people with so much experience. So along those lines, as we wind down this conversation, you're serving on many boards. You have a great network, obviously, through YPO and other folks. What's the biggest thing keeping board members up at night right now? Oh, man. It it depends a little bit on industry. Cybersecurity kind of reaches everybody. It's the dirty little secret nobody wants to talk about as far as I know a lot of companies that have been, you know, hacked, ransomware, all that kind of stuff. And no matter what they throw at it, you know, it's one of those topics, unless that's your world, you're not an expert in it. And so you're just kind of hoping and relying that the consultants or internal folks are are doing what they can do. Certainly the economy today is one that's a conversation for just about everybody. There's, There's a lot of uncertainty. You know, there's always periods where 
you know, looking out two or three years, you feel like you got a pretty good handle on what's coming up. And then there's periods like this where you look out and you go, I, I really don't know what next quarter looks like. I don't know if we should be hoarding cash. If this is the time to expand, should we go acquire people? But that means adding debt, you know, et cetera. So economic uncertainty is always a tough one. Those are always rough waters to, to sail through. You're going to have to place bets and you'll find out hindsight being 2020, whether or not some of those bets were right or wrong. A lot of boards are struggling with diversity and inclusion in general in the boardrooms specifically. These boardrooms historically have had a very high propensity for straight white males and trying to find a way to bring more diverse voices into the boardroom and diverse perspectives. I think much of corporate America, or at least the parts I work in, have gotten the message that that's valuable and we should aim for those things. What they're struggling with is trying to there's a chicken or the egg of historically, there have been fewer diverse candidates who have risen to a higher level within their organizations that have the experience to serve well on the board. So you're trying to find ways to promote better, both within the company and trying to find those voices for your boardroom too. So that's a, it's another one we've struggled with in a few of the boardrooms I sit in. Uh, we really want to, and I struggled in my own, my board never had a female member on it. And my last two board members I looked for, I heavily, heavily tried to favor females. Being in the construction industry, which is also an incredibly lopsided, gender-balanced <laughs> business, we just never, never found a candidate that worked for us, unfortunately. And I was always highly disappointed in that. So that's a tough, tough issue a lot of boards are struggling with today, too. Yeah, I hear the same from my own network and I'm going to YPO Edge actually in New York and I chose the cybersecurity breakout because I need to get smart on it and it's a problem. Yeah, I'll see like, you there. Okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> we can <laughs> grab a coffee and try to figure out what the hell's going on. A question I ask folks on the show, you know, is there something that you do daily that helps bring you peace to your world? Oh man, that's a great question. For me, you know, I years ago discovered I had quite a passion for woodworking. And it's a meditative process for me, building furniture and other, you know, things like that. So I love when I get a chance, when I have enough spare time to get out into my workshop and keep tinkering away on a project. It's so much of our lives is problem solving, but so much of our daily lives are the problems we solve. You know, sh should we do a price increase and you decide to do it? Three months later, rarely do you have enough information to know that was the right call. Two years later, you never really know if it was the right call. You can't go back and you know do the price increase and not do the price increase and watch the you know the results go through. So we make a lot of decisions in our our business life, many of which don't get very clear feedback on if it was right or wrong. And I think the meditative process and woodworking for me that gives me gives me peace and get, puts me into a flow state. Besides being the fact that I really enjoy it, is there's immediate feedback on when you do something right or wrong. It's very clear. Oh that is cut wrong. That is not going to line up correctly. And now I have a problem solving mechanism of fixing this error I have created. So yeah, so I always find that I'm, I'm much more relaxed when I've gotten to get a couple hours out in the, in the workshop to focus on craft and creativity centers me quite a bit. That's awesome. It's a great answer. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It was a ton of fun, very informative. And I appreciate you getting brass tacks with us. For our listeners, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Please do leave us a review. Let us know your favorite part of the conversation with Chris. And then Chris, if folks are interested in, in connecting with you, you know, potentially your work with boards or just using, using you as a resource, 
what's the best way for them to get in touch? I'd recommend they go to my website, ChristopherYaunt.com, which I think you'll have links to in the show notes. It's a great place. I write articles for Family Business Magazine, so it's a great repository of many of the questions I receive usually are what turns into the articles from my network. So if you want to get my thinking on certain things, it certainly has ways of contacting me on there and learning more about my background. I'd be happy to speak with anybody in your audience and help them out however I can. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you in New York in a couple of weeks. Yeah. See you real soon, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review and stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.